Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We've had a lot of extracurricular stuff today, so... Um... Uh, yeah, hopefully this will be a shorter sermon. I'll try to, I'll, I'll try to cut this one short. Um, but we do have a lot to read through. We've been reading um, through the Gospel of Mark, preaching through the Gospel of Mark, going verse by verse. And uh, we are now into chapter 5, and it's taken us a little bit, but, but it's worth it. Here we are. Uh, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, they, that's the disciples and Jesus, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. We would would call that a demonic spirit. Uh, There was a man out of the tombs who met him immediately, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged Jesus earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. In other words, this is a conversation Jesus is having with the demonic spirits. It gets a little confusing because it, sometimes it's, it sounds like it's the guy talking, and sometimes it sounds like it's the demons talking. Um, but the demons are now requesting uh, that they would be not sent out of the country. And so there was a herd of swine feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. That's where we're going to stop today. (laughs) So yeah, it's a big, crazy story. Um, And actually, the, the Gospel of Mark is full of stories. Uh, The Gospel of Mark has a lot less teaching than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and John. Mark is kind of the the one with the less teaching and the more stories. Uh, That's because the Gospel of Mark was written by a guy named Mark, who church historians tell us that Mark uh, was the assistant to Peter, Saint Peter. Uh, So after Jesus ascended to heaven, he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, uh, Peter kind of became the leader of the apostles. And Pete and the other apostles set up uh, their ministry there in Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, they, they planted other churches and basically had small groups meeting house to house, care groups. And the church was growing. Well, uh, eventually, church historians tell us that Peter took his friend Mark, who um, knew the language a lot better. And so he took Mark as his interpreter and they moved to Rome to plant a church in Rome. And they were there for a number of years planting that church. And then when Peter and Mark decided to leave, 
the people uh, there at Rome, in, in his church, they begged him to just leave a recording of the stories that he had been sharing with them. The first account stories of Jesus. And so, Eusebius, who's an early church, church writer, Eusebius says that the Gospel of Mark was basically written as a collection of stories for the church in Rome to read, to read every Sunday. So basically, it's just interesting to me as a, as a pastor, that means my job here this morning in the next 30 minutes is not to make this story exciting. My job is not to pull out philosophical deep truths from the story and create sort of a nice moral lesson. My job as, as a preacher is literally just to read the story so that you can understand the story, then encourage you to believe the story. Because if you would really believe the story, the story itself is life-changing. This story itself is, like, like, like uh, 2,000 years ago, if we were in Rome, we would pull this out, we would read it, not in English, but we would read it from the scroll. Now, of course, they didn't have chapter and verses back, back in the day. This is just a long letter. So anyway, we're reading the story of Jesus and the crazy guy, and we read the story about Jesus and the crazy guy, we roll it up, and we're like, all right, Who's crazy? <laughs> Who's got some issues? Because this is who Jesus is. And so what happens is, well, Paul said that the gospel, the good news, is the power of God unto salvation. So when you really understand who Jesus is, and if you actually put your faith in that person, that actual living, breathing person, like this is not just a moral story to teach us a moral lesson to pull out some sort of parable illustration for us to uh, apply to our lives. This is an actual thing that happened just like if, you were, uh, if, you, if it popped up on your Google today when you went to scroll like, hey, the Lions did in fact draft a running back in the first round. I don't know how you feel about that, but I wasn't that happy. But anyway, the lions did in fact, like it actually happened. And so in this case, this is about Jesus, not about the Detroit Lions, even though that's my favorite team. This is about Jesus and, and who Jesus is. This actually literally happened. And all I have to do today is share the story with you. That, that there are actual credible witnesses that saw this, that recorded this, that walked away from this, that this story changed their life. They lived through this and they were not the same. They lived through this and before this they were fishermen who were just trying to make a living. After this they were martyrs. Like, like before this, they were, they, were, they were tax collectors trying to work with the Roman government and make a living. But after this, they were preachers and teachers and martyrs and missionaries. This, they lived through this. And having lived through this, they sold everything they had and they gave it to poor people. Like that's the kind of story that this is. And likewise, if you would believe this story, if you would actually receive it and say, yes, I believe that's true and put your faith, that's where faith comes in. If you would put your faith in the story of Jesus, that would have implications for you as well. It would change your life as well. Because if Jesus has this kind of authority, if he has this kind of power over a guy who is possessed by apparently 2,000 demons, then what are you struggling with that's so difficult? <laughs> like, this is, like this is an extreme case of the power of God. And the point of this story, I mean, like, like I, I can imagine Peter sharing the story with a bunch of these Romans. He's letting them know that no matter how far away you feel from God, that you're never too far from 
God to be able to save you. And that's what the story is, if you really believe it. So that's kind of my job today, which is why maybe I can do that in 25 minutes. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can figure that out, just to share with you this story. And so if we look back on the story, there's a couple of things that we need to just observe quickly. In verse 2, it says that when he came out of the boat, immediately there met him uh, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So, so, so really the, 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 the title of my message today is that there is power in the presence of Jesus. That there is power in his presence. And we get that just from reading the story. I'm not, 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 not reading into it. I'm just reading the story that there is power in his presence. That when Jesus shows up, things change. Things are different. And so the, 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 the case of the story is a man who's been living among the tombs. Who has, the Bible says, a spiritual problem. Now this is, this is after, this is like Mark and Peter wrote this after the situation, right? So, so we have, hindsight is twenty twenty, <laughs> And so the, the Bible is giving us some clues into this guy. It says that he has an unclean spirit or a demonic spirit. Now, we wouldn't necessarily know that nowadays. If we were here and there was a guy here who was screaming and, and who was cutting himself, right? We would say he has psychosis. He has, he has some psychotic problems. We'd probably call the police and they would take him away to a hospital and get him some counseling, get him some medicine and try to, try to go, run through the gamut of, of how to help him. And there's nothing wrong with counseling. There's nothing wrong with therapy. There's nothing wrong with medicine. But the bottom line is that this man, he, he doesn't have a counseling problem. Like he doesn't have a physical problem. He has a spiritual problem that has a physical manifestation. And, 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 and now we're 2,000 years removed, we're living in America, we're here, in, now if I was preaching this in Africa, it would be a different type of sermon, but here in America, I feel like the greatest thing that we can learn from this is that sometimes physical manifestations have spiritual roots, have spiritual problems. So you can, you can try to counsel the demon, you can try to encourage the demon. You can try to tempt the demon to, to do what is right. You can, heck, you can even chain the guy. Like these are all attempts to deal with a physical, with a, with a physical manifestation without dealing with a spiritual root. So it's like, okay, you lack self-control. Let's help you with that. Let's get some handcuffs on you. Let's chain you up so that you won't cut yourself, so that you won't hurt yourself. Basically, they tried to put him in a padded room. They tried to get the straitjacket on him so that he wouldn't hurt himself. Why? Because they're dealing with a physical manifestation while ignoring the spiritual problem. And that never works because the spiritual problem is always stronger than any limitation you attempt to put on the physical manifestation. And it just so happened to time itself well that this Wednesday night, I'm going to be speaking about spiritual warfare. So if you want to come on Wednesday night, we're going to be here at 630. And we're going to be dealing with demonic spirits. And how do you know if, if it's a spiritual problem or if it's just a physical issue? Right? So there is a gift of discernment. That can certainly help. But there's some stuff from this story that I think can really help us understand. What are the differences? One, one difference is if, 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 if you are driven by impulse... Demonic presence, demonic spirits are always impulse-driven. That's why they crucified Jesus even when it wasn't in their best interest to do so. 
Because they're driven by desires. They're driven by lust. They're driven by impulse. So if you find yourself unable to have self-control, constantly driven by impulse and desire, it might be, I'm not saying it definitely is, but it might be a spiritual problem with the physical manifestation. There might be a spiritual element to this issue. So we see then that, that driven by impulse is one evidence. Another evidence is self-harm. Right? He's cutting himself. Not cutting anyone else. Not attacking anyone else. Leave him alone. He's not hurting anybody. Yeah, but he's hurting himself. Now for those of you that don't care about other people, then I guess that's not a problem. But if you have a heart for people and you don't want people to hurt themselves then this is an issue. So this guy is hurting himself. And so if you're driven to self-harm, if you look in the mirror and even though you're not fat, you say that you are, right? If you look in the mirror, and it's, it's a distortion of reality. If you, look at, if you look inside, if you look at your gender and you hate that, if you look at who God made you and you, and you hate that, look, the enemy hates our bodies specifically because it reminds him of the image of God. And so he hates our bodies. Just talking to somebody this week that uh, uh, he, was, he was asking me what I thought about certain people who, who, who desire to be handicapped. So I guess this was on Dr. Phil or something. I don't know. But uh, he was watching like this, this girl desire to be blind. Like <clears throat> she just had this strong desire to be blind. And so she poured Drano, was it? <clears throat> Drano on her eyes. And, and yeah, I mean, that sounds awful. But anyway, but now she's blind. And she's so happy that she's blind. She always wanted to be blind. And so he was asking me, hey, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But from a, just from a spiritual standpoint, that sounds like it could be demonic. Because demons hate your body. They want you to harm yourself. They want you to cut yourself. They want you to starve yourself. They want you to change yourself. They want you to mutilate yourself because they hate your body. So, so self-mutilation is a sign that is indeed a physical symptom, absolutely, but there might be a spiritual element to it. And here's the beauty of, of that, that it, within the presence of Jesus, he deals with the spiritual element to all of our physical issues. So self-harm is another one. Uh, tendency toward isolation is another one. This guy is driven to the tombs. Guess what? There's nobody living out there. It's all dead people. <laughs> He's driven away from his family. He's driven to, he wants to live there. Why? Because the enemy wants to pull you away from community, pull you away from people who could help you, pull you away from people who could encourage you, who could support you, who could speak life into you. He's trying to isolate you. And so if you're driven to isolation, I'm just saying, it might be just a physical deal, but it also, it might be a spiritual problem with a physical manifestation. But the good news is that Jesus' presence deals with all of this. Jesus' presence deals with every single spiritual problem that we have. And if you're here today, and if you feel like maybe you have a spiritual problem, I got good news. You're, you're among a bunch of people who also have spiritual problems. That's why we're here. That's why Buddhism didn't work for us. 
That's why Confucius couldn't. That's why Confucius let, let us confuse. That's why, like, like that's that's why Muhammad couldn't help us. That's why in every other possible religion that we all, including atheism and paganism and he, hedonism and all everything that we have attempted to fix our spiritual problem, it didn't work. That's how we got here. Because nothing else dealt with our spiritual condition. And at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so all of us have spiritual issues. It may be overt, demonic. It may be just simply the fact that we are rebellious against God. It, but there is the spiritual condition known as sin that we all have. And it's a cancer of the soul. It's a cancer of the heart. And so if you're here today and you have that, hey, you're in good company. All of us have had that. And some of us, those spiritual conditions have resulted in pretty serious physical manifestations. Some of us have some pretty serious addictions. Some of us have, some, have been to jail because our, because our physical manifestations was disrupting just even the laws of this country, right? And so, and, and so in so many ways, like, like you are not alone. And not only are you not alone amongst a bunch of other people who have experienced, are experiencing some of the same things you're experiencing, but you're not alone because in this story, Jesus himself shows up to this guy's location, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Jesus has three years of earthly ministry and he spends a couple days to go meet with one guy. If I were him, I would have just like went to like Elevation Church. I'm like, all right, so can I preach? Because like there's a lot of people here. That'd be awesome right or hillsong or so like get on like 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 get a contract or something to get out there get among the masses jesus doesn't go among the masses he goes to this one part of the country where it's just one guy the disciples must have thought he was crazy right like they're 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 rowing on the boat and by the way in chapter four the kind of opposition they faced just to get there Look, the devil wasn't just content to keep him in bondage where he was at. The enemy was also looking for help that might be on the way and trying to hinder any kind of help that could be on the way. That maybe that's why every time you take one step forward, it feels like you take three steps back because the enemy is trying to stop any presence of Jesus that might enter into your life. He's trying to keep you away, trying to keep you away from the presence of God. That's why everything goes wrong on Sunday morning. <laughs> or Saturday night like you know what I'm saying like because because the enemy like and if you knew what was on the other side of the opposition you would press through the opposition you'd be happy to go through the storm if you knew the freedom that was coming on the other side disciples didn't know that Jesus knew that though right because in chapter 4 Jesus is sitting there on the, in the, on the edge of the lake of, of, of this of the, what they call the Sea of Galilee it's really a lake he's sitting there on the edge he's been teaching he said okay we need to go to the other side why? Because his father is telling him, hey, there's a guy on the other side, one guy on the other side of this lake that you're going you're gonna, to encounter and set him free. And so they, they, they pass through the storm, they get there, and the disciples are like, just one guy? What's going on? No, let me tell you, Jesus would show up if it was just you. He would go through the storm, he would go through, he crossed a lot more than just a lake to get to me. I don't know about you, but he crossed a lot more than just a lake to find me where I was. A little six-year-old Harry <laughs> to meet me in Port Huron, Michigan. A 17-year-old Rocky in Dallas, Texas. I'm telling you, in so many ways, I don't know how old Romeo was, but anyway, 
Like, but he, he has crossed, and he is still doing that even today. He is still pursuing people who are lost, people who are in bondage, people who have spiritual issues with physical manifestations that other people have given up on, that other people have said, well, I tried the chains, I tried the bonds, I did what I could do, you just need to do you, buddy. I, and they've left him alone. And Jesus doesn't leave us. Jesus doesn't leave him, I should say. And if you'll believe this story, you will also understand that it applies to you as well. Maybe that's why Peter shared this with a bunch of pagan Romans, so that they knew it wasn't just good believing Jews that got Jesus to show up. It was in the, the, the country of the Gadarenes, which were like mixed people. They were like some Jews, some not, none of them exactly pure Jews, none of them keeping the law. Obviously, they're, they're shepherding pigs. You don't shepherd pigs and keep the law of Moses at the same time. That's not how that works. So this is this is this is this isn't this isn't Westlake, all right? This is the this is the this is the east side of Austin. That's what this is. This is South South Austin. That's what this is. Economically disadvantaged, poverty stricken. They got issues, and Jesus shows up on their shores. And what's interesting to me. In verse 2, it says that when he had come out of the boat, which is why I guess I'm talking about that it is the presence of Jesus that sets us free, not necessarily the preaching of Jesus. Because literally it says when he had come out of the boat, it says immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with, a, with an unclean spirit. Like immediately. So they're, they're in the boat rowing along. They get, they get to the shore, you know, up into the sand. Jesus steps out of the boat and immediately... Like as soon as he steps his foot out of the boat, as soon as his foot lands on the same soil that the demoniac's man, that the demon-possessed man's feet are on. Like as soon as his foot touches the soil, the demons within the man start freaking out. Because they realize, just like the milk in your refrigerator, that their power has an expiration date. <laughs> Because as soon as Jesus starts to occupy the same piece of ground that the enemy occupies, the enemy knows that he has to go, that his time is up, that his power is broken, that Jesus' mere presence, he hasn't preached, they haven't done any worship yet, the, 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 the disciples haven't even unloaded the PA system yet, they don't even have the tracks going, the guitar, the keys weren't even working yet, nothing's plugged in, Jesus doesn't even say anything that I know of. Like, it sounds like he just gets out of the boat. His mere getting out of the boat and onto the land was enough to signal to the demons that their time was up. And they immediately start trying to negotiate with him. They immediately, don't, don't torture us. We know you're going to kick us out. Don't torture us. Like, like, take it easy on us. Like, and they immediately start trying to hedge their bets because they know that their power is gone now. Because no demonic spirit can occupy the same piece of ground that God occupies. That's why the, it is the presence of Jesus. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke. Not the preaching, not the singing, not the reading. It is the presence of Jesus that breaks every bondage, every spiritual issue, no matter how long it has been there, no matter how many people have tried to fix it and couldn't fix it. It is the presence of God. And you say, well, isn't he everywhere? Absolutely, he is everywhere. But he is not intentionally everywhere. He is not presently manifested everywhere. He is not received everywhere. He is not believed everywhere. But in those places where 
he has 12 disciples with him that just got done seeing him speak to the storm and speak to the waves. And they just looked at each other and said, oh, who is this guy? That even he has authority over the wind and the seas. They, they, he, he is in a, 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 he's in a boat of faith, really. And awe and wonder of who he is. And in that moment, Jesus steps out. And immediately the demons start to tremble. They start to shake. They start to cry out. And, they, and the man rushes to him. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing, to me anyway. It's a little bit confusing because I don't know who's exactly talking. We see the demons in uh, verse 4, or uh, yeah, verse, verse 6. It says that, that, that when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Which is interesting. I don't know that demons would necessarily do that. But then in verse 7, it says that he cried out with a loud voice and says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, you do not torment me. And so there's like almost like a battle within the man. There's a fight within him. There's part of him that sees Jesus for who he is and he runs to him and worships him. And then there's part of him that when he's near him is scared to death. It's almost like you can, you can see the battle within him of the, 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 the spiritual issue, the, the demonic presence. And so many times, man, I see that same battle inside of so many of us. We, 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 we see Jesus for who he is. We run to him and we worship him. But then we also are like a little scared of him. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is how this guy gets free. I think him running to Jesus was all Jesus needed. Him taking that step toward Jesus, bowing down before him and acknowledging him. That's worship. When we acknowledge who he is and what he's done, that's worship. And so God doesn't mind the struggle. God doesn't mind the conflict. God doesn't mind the back and forth. God understands. Jesus understands where the man is at. The man worships Jesus. And then the man says, whoa, okay, don't, don't torment me. And then Jesus deals with the demonic. And by the way, he cast them out and he cast them into, into a bunch of pigs. You say, well, why, why, why would he do that? Why would he allow the demons to fill the pigs? I don't really know. <laughs> he just did. Yeah. So like, like, again, it's not my job to make the story more interesting. It's just to read the story. And help you put faith in the story. I do think it's interesting that Peter counted the pigs. <laughs> 2,000 pigs. Huh. So maybe, maybe it was just the visual impact for the guy that he might see 2,000 issues running down the hill, falling and drowning into the lake. Maybe Jesus wanted that visual impact for him to see. 2,000 sleepless nights running down the hill. 2,000 attempts to get clean running down the hill. 2,000 mistakes. 2,000 awful things that we said. 2,000 broken glasses just, just falling. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't the phone. Uh, yeah, he wants the visual impact. And it was obviously impactful to Peter because Pete counted, or at least had a rough estimate. I don't know if he was actually counting. 
But I think that's what Jesus wants to do for every one of us. He wants to give us a visual evidence that we are different, that we are changed, that we are new, that something has happened. And he can do that immediately. In his presence, all with faith, when you come into his presence with faith, all of that stuff can happen. Spiritual problems can be dealt with. Old bottles you don't need anymore can be broken. Hallelujah. <laughs> just trying to tie it in. What's happening in the back with what's happening up here? We're just, we're all part of the same family, people. It's an illustration. I meant for that to happen. I said, if you could just drop that bottle when I'm trying to wrap up, that would be awesome. Just drop that thing, throw it down like, like, like Gideon with the, 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 the bowls and stuff. Smash it. Because there's some stuff that literally needs to be smashed. It just needs to be dropped down the hill. And we see those 2,000 things. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time. But, but it starts with an act of faith. And so those kids put their faith in Jesus. And we celebrated that today. I want to give you a chance to put your faith in Jesus as well. For whatever spiritual problem you may have. And just simply ask for his presence in your life. To change what needs to be changed. To heal what needs to be healed. To send down the hill to break whatever needs to be broken. To send down the hill whatever demonic powers need to be sent. But it just starts with, with, with running to him and worshiping him. That's kind of how it starts. So if you would just close your eyes for a moment with me. We come before Jesus who is in charge. Who does have authority over everything that we face. Everything that has possessed us everything that has driven us and we just worship him we acknowledge his greatness we acknowledge his power we desire for his presence in our lives We thank you, Lord, for your very real presence. This is an old story, but you are still showing up today. Hmm. And I'd like to end the service a little differently than normal today. Um, I'd like for us to take communion. If you're open to the presence of Jesus, uh, Jesus said, that whenever we take communion, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Is not this cup of blessing that we bless a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Jesus to participate with him, to run to him and to worship him? The, uh, communion is an acknowledgement of our sin, saying that we need a savior, saying that we have sinned and it's because of our sin that Jesus was crushed and it is the blood is is the covenant which is the new commitment on God's part to rescue us and this covenant that we enter into we have our part that we put our faith in him and then he has his part that he cleanses us and he purifies us and that's what first John says that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so if you are confessing your sin, if you are calling out to him and declaring your need for him, 
I'd like for us just to seal that moment just by taking communion together, if that's all right. If you currently are a believer and uh, you're not a member of City Chapel, that's fine. We practice open communion, so you don't have to be a, a member of our church to participate in communion with us. Um, but we invite you, if you're a believer, to take communion. We have a table over here uh, on the side, and um, some ushers maybe can, can help out. But uh, what I'd like to do is just take five minutes, and um, I'll, yeah, we'll play some worship uh, and just, just give you an opportunity to walk over and take the elements of communion. We won't instruct you in anything. You can just take it back to your seat or come, come down to the front. Take it as a family with, with your spouse or, or even with your kids. But um, we encourage everybody who's putting their faith in Jesus to participate in communion because this is a participation. Uh, it's the way that we connect with him. So, uh, Father, in Jesus' name, we bless this bread and this juice that it will be for us a connecting point, a participation with the presence of Jesus. We want the presence of Jesus. We believe that his presence is able to deal with every issue in our heart, every spiritual issue. Maybe we might even be unaware of so many physical manifestations. Sometimes actual sickness can be a physical manifestation of a spiritual problem. It's called the spirit of infirmity. <laughs> so some, just in his presence, so much of that can be healed both mentally, spiritually, physically, when we turn it over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, Lord, for your body and for your blood. We remember you right now. Amen. <laughs>